You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series, I Am, examining the I Am statements of Jesus. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is John 15, 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Peace be with you. My name is Jamal. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're a first-time guest, we want to say welcome. We are so glad that you are here. We pray that a word would be spoken or a song song that will enrich your life in Christ Jesus. And to the rest of the Sojourn family, what's up, what's popping, what's crackalack, and hope you're doing well. Amen. We're going to pray and then we're going to dive into today's text. If you uh, could join me in just silencing your hearts, silencing your minds, perhaps you want to change your position um, that you're sitting at and um, just, uh, just talk to the Father for a, a minute with me. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and your kindness uh, towards us. Uh, Father, uh, we are sinners. We are incomplete. We experience a brokenness daily, hourly, minute by minute. And yet we know that that does not define us, that what defines us as Humans is being created in your image, and as believers, even more so, is uh, being in Christ Jesus. And we know that you are committed to conforming us into his image. So even in this moment, Lord, we cry out to you and we beg you, Lord, to, to shape us, to mold us, to have your way, to silence our hearts so that we can uh, see you more clearly, hear you more fully. Trust in you more completely. And we ask this not by might nor by power, but according to your spirit. O oh Lord God of hosts, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are finishing up our I Am Statements of Jesus. And these I am statements that we've been going through, we've went through six. Today is the seventh. 
They are the backbone of the gospel of John and his writings. And they are pointing us towards Jesus, who is fully God and fully divine and pointing us back to the Old Testament in Exodus chapter three, when God declared to Moses, I am that I am. And this in the storyline of John is just an important chapter. John chapter 15, of course, every chapter is important, but it's important in that Jesus has just declared to his disciples that he is, he is leaving. Um, they have uh, instructed and, and, and taken the Lord's Supper, and now they are, are getting ready to go into the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus will be uh, kissed uh, by Judas, betrayed, and um, just a, a short, a few hours later, crucified. And Jesus, as he is preaching and sharing his final messages and words with the disciples, in essence, wants them to know that he is getting ready to physically leave, but they should not worry. They should not be anxious because even though he is leaving, um, they still will be able to commune with him. In fact, he tells them that they will be even more effective in the ministry that he has uh, given them because he will make his home uh, in them through the helper, which is the Holy Spirit. And so from chapter 13 to chapter 17, we see that John is emphasizing the ministry of Jesus to his disciples, calming their anxieties, telling them that effective, full, sweet, intimate communion with him, even though he is not present, is possible to them. In chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus says these words. He says, get up. Let's leave this place. And in my sanctified imagination, Jesus at that point, um, after uh, communing and hanging out with the disciples, um, walks down some stairs as they were in the upper room. They go on a journey together and on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, he stops at some point and he continues to talk to them. And perhaps he stops by a vineyard. Israel is full of vineyards. Um, that was one of the, the major signs of, of, of this country. Beautiful vineyards uh, filled up Jerusalem, filled up uh, the city. And he begins to uh, say these words to them, which is our final I am statement. I am the true vine. And this whole uh, chapter that we're going to look at, or these 11 verses, are going to be looking at this analogy or what some will call an allegory as Jesus is going to unpack what it means that he is the true vine. And I think that this is important. This is his last I am statement um, to his disciples. And he wants them um, to, to have a vision of him, to have a picture of him that will sustain them um, once he dies, is resurrected and ascends into heaven, is no longer physically with them here on earth. And today we're going to look at this, this main point that I think is Jesus' main point with this I am statement. And it's this invitation that he gives them to remain deeply connected to him so that they would bear much fruit. And that's, I believe, the Lord's challenge to us as a congregation today, as we close out this series, is to remain connected, or I would say deeply connected, intimately connected to Jesus the true vine, so that we as believers can bear much fruit. Now, Jesus is the ultimate communicator, and he's the ultimate poet. He's the ultimate 
priest. He's the ultimate king. He is the, the ultimate painter. And he's going to paint a picture in these next 11 verses that would make Bob Ross jealous. It's going to be a, a verbal picture that is a picture that he wants us to hold with this. And so today we're going to have four simple movements. The first movement is we're going to look at the picture that Jesus gives. And then we're going to look at the principle that Jesus gives. And then we're going to look at the practice that Jesus gives. And we're going to close with the promise that Jesus gives. So we're going to look at the picture, the principle, the practice, and the promises that Jesus gives. And these uh, movements will help us to be encouraged, to be motivated, to remain in Jesus so that we can bear much fruit. Now, as we listen to this, uh, some of us are listening from a place of discouragement. Perhaps we've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and we've heard many sermons about bearing much fruit. And there's an anxiety that comes because we look at ourselves and we say, I'm not bearing the type of fruit that I should be bearing. Um, or I want to bear more fruit, but it feels like every time I, I try and every time I put new principles or practice in place, I fail. And I want you to be encouraged because I believe that Jesus gives us a picture of what it means and how we bear much fruit. And the good news is, is that it doesn't start from the outside and go inward. It starts from the inside and goes outward. The good news is that Jesus is going to show us that to to bear much fruit, to live an effective life of a disciple, it it, it doesn't start with us, it doesn't end with us, and ultimately it doesn't really depend on us, but rather it depends on us being like a branch connected to the true vine, allowing the substance and the sustenance of that vine to naturally do its work through us so that we can produce the lives that God, before the beginning of time, ordained for us. So let's look at this picture that Jesus paints by looking at the first two verses. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am that divine declaration. I am God. If anyone ever says that Jesus did not um, say that he was God in the New Testament or in the Gospels, you take them to these I am statements and you explain that this is a, a, a divine claim. And everyone who heard this knew what he was doing in that culture in in that day. I am, he says, the true. The true lets us know that there are false vines. There were false vines back then for Israel, and there are false vines back then for us today. And many in Israel was following, in Jesus' words, blind guides, religious leaders who were leading people astray with a a man-made religion that depended on people's effort as opposed to God's grace. And today there are many people who are are following vines or connected to vines that they think are true vines because they are religious, but they are not the true vine because it is not Jesus. And they are uh, looking at life with God from a perspective that says outside in rather than inside out. And he says, I am the true vine. Last week we looked at in John chapter 14, how Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth. I am the life. And this is another way for him to say, I am the true vine. Israel, if he's the disciples and they're looking, they know their Bibles really well. um, They would have thought to themselves that, hey, throughout the Old Testament, Israel was often spoken of as God's choice vine. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 5, verse uh, 1 through 7, we see Isaiah poetically communicating to Israel that, he, uh, that, that Israel is God's vine. 
Um, But Isaiah talks about how as a result of their disobedience, judgment um, was coming because they were not producing fruit. Israel was a a, a type of vine that pointed to Jesus, who is the, the true vine. And when the text talks about vine, what is it talking about? What is Jesus using with this allegory or uh, with this example? In essence, he's saying that I am the one who is to, that I am the one who gives you sustenance. I'm the one who gives you, who gives you substance. I'm the one who gives you sustenance. I am the one who satisfies you. And perhaps you've heard this claim that Jesus is Lord. And that's true. Jesus is Lord. Or that Jesus is our Savior. That's true. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is is more than our Lord and our Savior. He's also our satisfaction. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm about to leave. I'm about to go, and I'm going to go to the Father. And you've been with me, disciples, for over three years. You're going to think that because I left that there is a, a lack, that you are now alone. Your hearts are going to be tempted to be troubled and to feel lost and condemned. But I want you to know that even though I am going to the Father, that there is a way in which we can communicate, we can commune, and, and you can have just as an effective relationship then or to come as you had then when I was physically present here with you on earth. And so he builds out this analogy by using this horticulture example, and he goes from saying, I am the true vine, to then explaining in the vineyard that there is a gardener and that this gardener is God his father. Listen to this. My father is the gardener. And as the gardener, As the vine dresser, the vine dresser has one ultimate goal, and that is is that that vine produces as much healthy fruit as possible. And so he says, as the divine gardener who my father is, he does two things, and he treats two different branches two separate ways. The first branch that he treats is is a branch, he says, that does not produce fruit. We see that in the text. We've got a picture of a, of a vine or of a branch that is fruitless, right? And the second branch that he has or that he puts before us is a branch that produces fruit. And we've got another picture of, of what that could look like. And so he paints this picture of him being the vine. His father is the gardener. And he says there's two type of branches, those that produce fruit and those that do not. And ultimately, in the grand scheme of Jesus' teaching, we see that there essentially are two types of people. There are those who are disciples of his and those who are not. And a disciple of his is a person who will produce fruit. There's no such thing as a fruitless disciple. And everyone else are people who are not producing fruit. And the reason that they are not producing fruit is because they are not connected to the true vine. And so notice what the text says. He says that he, he prunes, he prunes. The father does something to those who are in Christ. And that is the, the ministry of pruning. Listen, he prunes, somebody say every branch. Now, this is interesting. He prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce what? That's profound. And someone needs to hear that today, that the ministry of God, the father, And Jesus's allegory is the ministry of pruning. And he prunes every branch. Every disciple of Jesus is pruned. 
And every disciple of Jesus that's pruned was already producing fruit, but he prunes it so that it can produce what? More fruit. See, some of us right now, we are in a season of deep pruning and we feel a bit disillusioned. And we wonder if, if God loves us, if he cares about us, if we are true a disciple or apprentice of God, because it, it feels like this is just a, a season of, of hardship and heartache and, and heartbreak. But the scripture reminds us and Jesus reminds us that, that every disciple of Jesus goes through pruning. And sometimes we look at other Christians on Instagram or we compare ourselves to other Christians because we see their kind of top 10 moments on social media and we think that everything always goes their way and they're never being pruned. But that's a lie. Every single person under the sun goes through hardship. Every single person under the, under the sun is affected by the fall. We all have brokenness. We all sin against others and we all are sinned against. The Bible tells us that God prunes those that he loves. Now, there's a difference between God's pruning and, 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 and demonic, satanic attacks that, that Satan brings our way. Even the way that Satan tempts us, God can use those things uh, to prune us. But here, the Bible says that he, he prunes us. Uh, God is not evil. He himself doesn't tempt us. And his goal in pruning us is to make us more fruitful and to look more like Jesus. Amber and I, we uh, once had a, a, a bush that was outside of um, our home. And this uh, bush kind of bothered us a, a little bit. We couldn't, uh, it wasn't ours, it didn't belong to us, so we couldn't shape it up ourselves um, or cut it. But what we did every now and then is we would uh, cut it a little bit or have someone else come and just snip it um, because it was just scratching up our car. And one day a neighbor came out and just uh, didn't ask for permission, but just cut the bush um, himself. And he uh, cut it uh, down to the nubs. And when I talked to him about that, I said, man, you, thanks for cutting this bush. We didn't feel like it was appropriate. It wasn't our bush. And he said, well, first off, it's not a bush, it's a tree. Um, <laughs> uh, and the reason that it looks like that is because it wasn't kept. Um, the way in which you train a tree is, by, um, is the way you prune it so that it can grow up word and look like a tree. It took on a shape of a bush because it was never trimmed. It was never cut. And God prunes those he loves to get us to produce much fruit or more fruit. Um, and sometimes that pruning hurts and it seems unfair and it seems like God doesn't love us, but he's out for our ultimate good. He wants us to grow up in Christ in a way that is helpful, that is, that is healthy. I was listening to Tasha Cobb's song this morning. Tasha's a gospel artist, and uh, it was a song called Gracefully Broken. And uh, man, she was singing that thing. And Tasha, as she was singing, she, uh, before she started singing, she said, listen, um, God gracefully breaks us. He gracefully breaks us to correctly position us. Um, he gracefully breaks us to promote us. He gracefully uh, breaks us to put us in our in our proper place. God is the ultimate gardener. Jesus is the ultimate vine. And, and God does his work in us so that we can grow up in Christ to be fruitful. 
Henry Nouwen has a, a quote that I just think is, is powerful and um, don't have all the time in the world to nuance it. As we know that the sin affects us, it's dark, it's um, uh, people sin against us in ways that are, are grievous and that are traumatic and that, that reshape um, our lives. But in his book, The Life of the Beloved, he's writing to encourage um, uh, actually a non-Christian um, that one of the reasons that they should give their life to Jesus is because, that, because then you become a part of God's beloved community. And as a part of God's beloved community, you learn to grow up and to have faith that even the darkest shadow um, can be turned uh, for your good. And he has a great quote that helps us to reimagine what our suffering um, could look like when we, in the midst of our suffering, respond uh, by faith instead of doubt or fear. Look at this quote. He says, the great spiritual call of the beloved children of God is to pull their brokenness away from the shadow of the curse and to put it under the light of blessing. And just before this, he talks about how difficult this is and he nuances very well. Um, so you'll have to appropriately nuance this quote. But he says this, physical, mental, or emotional pain lived under the blessing is experienced in ways radically different from physical, mental, and emotional pain lived under the curse. Even a small burden perceived as a sign of our worthlessness can lead us to deep depression, even suicide. However great and heavy burdens become light and easy when they are lived in the light of the blessing. What seemed intolerable becomes a challenge. What seemed a reason for depression becomes a source of purification. What seemed punishment becomes gentle proning. What seemed rejection becomes a way to deeper communion. It is the joy of being disciplined, purified, and pruned. And I think this is what James talked about in James chapter 1 when he says, listen, consider it all joy. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds, for the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And James is saying the same thing. I think that, that Henry is saying, and Henry ultimately is pointing us back to the words of Jesus, that if we are in Christ Jesus, if we are in his garden, when the gardener prunes us, we have a choice. We can look at it and under the shadow of a curse that God does not love me and we are cursed. Or we can learn to fix our eyes on Jesus and say, even though this is dark and even though this is hard, I believe that God can use this ultimately to produce fruit in my life. Now, what's the fruit? What's the fruit? Here in the text, it says, and he prunes every branch and produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. So what is the fruit? Well, Tony Evans makes three great uh, observations about fruit in the Bible or just fruit in general. All right. The first observation that he makes about fruit is that fruit uh, takes on the shape of the tree. Fruit takes on the shape of a tree. When, when Jesus talks about this producing of fruit, he's saying uh, if you are a branch and you are connected to the vine, uh, that what happens is, is that the vine is, is giving the branch um, all the nourishments that it needs to, to grow and to, to be healthy. 
Um, and if you have an apple tree, that the fruit that the tree is going to produce is an apple, right? Or apples. In the same way, if we are the branch and we are connect, uh, connected to uh, Jesus, who is the true vine, um, if, if, if it is a great tree, it is going to produce grapes. And this is what Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit, the character of the Spirit produces love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. The second thing about fruit is that fruit is not invisible, right? Fruit is, is visible. If you are a branch, if you are in Christ, um, it should be evident that you are in Christ. Uh, just like the apostles in Acts chapter 4, um, as they were being uh, persecuted, those who were persecuting them said, hey, these are uh, uneducated men. But one thing we know about them is that they have been like Jesus, right? Um, there is some visible fruit that points them back to Jesus. And then third, fruit is for others to enjoy. What God is producing in you isn't just for you. It's for those around you. to strengthen their faith, to remind them of his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his peace, his joy, his keeping power, his nearness to us when we suffer. And so Jesus paints this picture of being the true vine, and then he gives us a, a principle that he wants us to hold on to that uh, carries throughout this illustration. He says, remain in me and I in you. And that's the principle. Some translations say, abide in me and I in you. This word here means to, to simply to stay, to be at home, to rest deeply. He says, I am the true vine. You are the branches. Your job as the branch is to remain in me. It's to, to stay at home with me. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I am in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Now, there's a, a beautiful progression in this text. And we've got a, a chart that shows it's very simple. It's very simple. But it's in verse one, remain. What happens to those who remain? They produce fruit. Second progression is that those who remain in Jesus are those who are being pruned. What happens to those who go through the pruning process and who remain in Jesus? They produce more fruit. But those who continue to abide in Jesus, verse 5 says, man, they produce much fruit. They produce much fruit. So many people are just giving up on the faith because things are getting hard and because we are in spiritual warfare. The culture, the spirit of the age is, is trying to make Christians look stupid or, or silly uh, because of what we believe. And what's interesting, depending on the category, depending on the thing you talk about, when you look at scientific research and you begin to study whatever the issue is and you look at the teachings of Jesus and you look at uh, whether or not a person is, is holistically healthy um, and if they're, they're following the way and following the, the ways of Jesus, um, you'll see that those, those are healthy people. And those who are not, who are going contrary, evidence and studies are coming out that those persons are actually less healthy. But regardless of that, 
Um, Our culture is saying, no, do you, YOLO, you only live once. This way of teaching, this way of living, it's not true, it's not beautiful, it's not life-giving. This is the way of humanism, the the way of relativism, the the way of, of, of the world, the way that we want things to be is the way to live. And it is not producing fruit, it's not producing character, it's not producing life. It is producing bitterness and unforgiveness and a council culture and polarization. But those who weather the storm, those who fix their eyes on Jesus, those who persevere through the pruning are those who don't just produce fruit. As they progressively are sanctified and purified by a Jesus through life's various trials, they end up producing much fruit. They end up looking like Jesus. And even though people may disagree with them and be angry for what they believe, I believe that they can and will be impacted by by the kindness of those who follow the way. So Jesus gives us this principle of remaining, of staying. It's not the way of, of scrubbing, it's the way of soaking. Christianity is not a message of scrub, make yourself better, make yourself produce more fruit. The gospel is a message that says you cannot produce fruit on your own. That's what Jesus says when he says, you can do nothing without me. Now, obviously, there are plenty of people who are living who are not in Christ who do plenty of things. So specifically in context, what he's saying is you cannot produce fruit without me. You cannot produce fruit without me. You have to stay, soak soak in me. Remember a couple years ago, we were teaching our kids to do uh, the dishes and, uh, and there was a, a pan that was just, we just got through from eating. Everything was sticky and grimy. Y'all know those pans. You get that pan and you start getting that, what's it called? An SOS pad. Y'all remember those? Do they still have SOS pads, right? All right. And you start scrubbing. I got five kids now. I don't know. They be in that kitchen. Amen. <laughs> All right, just like, yeah, they got them, they got them. I still use them, right? <laughs> Mama be getting them. And you, you, you know, you can take the SOS and you can just get to, and, but man, it can take, it can take hours and it's just scrubbing, it's scrubbing, it's just scrubbing. But what we had to teach them is you don't, you don't take the SOS pad on certain dishes and scrub. What you do is you just put them in water, set it to the side, you let it soak overnight and that water breaks down Um, Whatever it is that's in that pan, as that water just abides, as it remains, as it stays. And then you come back the next day and you're like, right? Right? And that's the way of Jesus. That's the principle that Jesus is saying to his disciples. If if you want to if you want to progress and, and bear fruit, it is because you are soaking in me. You are remaining deeply and intimately connected to me. And I began to do this work from the inside out in you and on you, just like a, a vine to a branch. And perhaps the reason that you're beat up today perhaps the reason that you're just ridden with, with guilt, with with shame, with fear, is because you are scrubbing. And God's invitation to you today is to soak in his grace, to remember that you are his beloved child, 
to remember that he is for you in Christ Jesus and never against you, to remember that he is pleased with you, that he is a gentle gardener and he is looking at you as his branch, caring for you. And sometimes he cuts you, but the cut is not to kill you. The cut is actually ultimately going to bring healing to you, dependence and trust and gentleness and kindness and long-suffering and love. And then one day you will stand in glory and you will see Jesus face to face and you will spend billions of billions of years in his presence and you will look back on the cuts that was real and and hard and sometimes traumatic. And in light of, of eternity, you will call it, as Paul says, light momentary afflictions, afflictions. So Jesus also gives a practice that's going to ground the disciples here. In verse seven, he says, again, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. So what does remaining look like? What does abiding look like? It looks like trusting in the words of God. Jesus is saying, listen, I was with you and I spent three and a half years teaching you the key as I leave for you experiencing intimacy with me is you depending on my words, holding on to my words. Then he goes on in verse nine, he says, as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And this is relationship to holding on to the words of Jesus and remaining in his love and understanding that the words of Jesus is how we experience the love of God. When we read and meditate and absorb the scriptures, we need to do so from a place that says, I am going to God's word to experience his love. And I am going to keep and obey God's commands to experience his love. Every single person who is in Christ Jesus, listen to this, is equally loved by God. My grandmother used to say, there's no big eyes and little use. But we all don't experience the love of God the same way. There could be many reasons for that, but at the core of our experience of God's love is us treasuring God's word and by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit walking it out. James chapter one, James puts it this way. He says, blessed, happy, flourishing are the ones who are not only hearers of God's words, but doers. The person who is flourishing, the person who is happy, the person who is blessed is the person who not only hears God's word, but who slows down enough to trust in it and by faith to walk it out. I love what one preacher said. He said, listen, a person who hears God's words, but who does not obey it is like a person who chews food, but never swallows it. 
Jesus here is after the disciples' peace. He's after the disciples' joy. He's saying, listen, I'm the vine, you're the branch. Soak in me, remain in me. And when we soak in Jesus, we remain in Jesus, we remember his good news that he has died because he loved the world to save us from our sin, that he empowers us to live um, out this life that he has uh, given us through his spirit. And he says, as you do that, you will experience, you will believe the love of the Father all the more. There's a recent study that came out and it was called Understanding Understanding." the Bible Engagement Challenge, Scientific Evidence for the Power of Four. And Pastor Luke Skeen uh, made me aware of this study and some other leaders, and uh, I read it and I was just amazed. There was a study done with over 40,000 Christians. So it was uh, a a lot of people that was uh, included in this study. And uh, basically the study shows that people who engage the Bible one, two, three, or four plus more times had different um, life experiences. They experience life differently based upon their Bible engagement. Those who, ex- who only uh, sat under the word or read the word once a week um, when they uh, were surveyed, uh, there was very little change. In fact, there was slight negative change to their life. So let's just say a person who comes on Sunday morning, hears a sermon and doesn't engage God's word anymore. The person who engaged the word uh, two times, there was no change. The person who engaged the word of God three times a week in a meaningful way, there was a slight uh, change. But the person who disciplined themselves to engage God's word four times plus per week had a significant life experience than those who were not regularly engaged in God's word. And here's what the studies show. Feeling lonely for those who engaged it four times or more dropped 30%. Anger issues dropped 32%. Bitterness in relationships dropped 40%. Alcoholism dropped 57%. Sex outside of a marriage dropped 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. Viewing pornography, 61%. Sharing one's faith went up 200%. Discipling others dropped 230%. And this was published by Lifeway. Uh, uh, This was actually shared by Lifeway, who uh, reported on another study. And that's Understanding the Bible Engagement uh, Challenge, if you want to look it up. That is incredible. And what the study basically shows, and this is not meant to make you feel guilty or ashamed, but it's meant to verify what Jesus is teaching. Those who deeply abide, who deeply remain in his word, over time will be formed and shaped by his word. So that when life hits, rather than run to our idols, rather than run to false vines, we experience the sustaining, beautiful power of Jesus, the true vine. And some of us, the reason that we are stuck where we are in our maturity and in our life is that rather than discipline ourselves, as the Apostle Paul said, discipline yourself unto godliness. Rather than uh, discipline ourselves, as the Psalm 1 says, blesses the man who walks not in counsel of ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates what? Day and night. 
And he shall be like a tree planted by streams of living water, which yields its fruit in its season, and his leaves shall not wither. That's what we read earlier in Jeremiah, that the, the person who's like a tree planted by streams of water in seasons of doubt still has a leaf that is green. And that's not as a result of personal strength. That's not as a result of a a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's not as a result of someone being just a superior, maybe moral person. That is as a result of us spending time with Jesus and being transformed by his grace, by his love. That's why the apostle Paul says, listen, 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 listen. I want to know the height, the depth, the width, the length of God's, not just simply of God's word or knowledge, but of God's love. Listen, God loves you. He is crazy about you. He's not in heaven as this gardener condemning you or judging you. Rather, he is inviting you and welcoming you into his presence, saying, I want to remind you daily of how much I love you. By pointing you not just to a crucified Savior, but to a resurrected one who is seated on my right hand, who is interceding for you daily, who promises to come back to make all things right. And I want to produce in you a a fruit, a a light, a, a life that will let other people know that there is someone who loves you and who love cannot be shaken and cannot be taken away. There's a grace for you where you don't have to perform your way to death. But you can receive from the vine just like a a branch does daily and produce this fruit. So the practice is remaining in Christ's love by remaining in his word, by, and by walking in obedience to his word. None of us do it perfectly. That's um, so why First John says, when you fall, confess your sins um, and know that, that God is, is, will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will forgive you. A righteous man falls seven times and gets back up again. Keep walking. God will prune. He will sanctify. He will make you. But keep going, remain. And then finally, we see the promises that Jesus gives, that Jesus gives. There are some promises (laughs) to those who remain, to those who practice holistically living in God's word. He gives promises. Look at verse seven. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Now that's amazing. It says, pray and your prayers will be answered. Now, for some of us, this causes a lot of pain because we pray for a lot of things and it seems like um, they're not answered. And our natural response is to think that, again, God doesn't, God doesn't love me. I'm an orphan. You are not an orphan. You have been adopted into the family of God. You have a loving father and a family who loves you. In context, what Jesus is saying is, listen, the branch that abides in the vine is the branch that begins to uh, produce what the vine um, produces. And part of what that is produced in us is a prayer life that reflects Jesus. 
The more we abide in Jesus, the more his desires become our heart's desires. And the more confidence we can have when we pray that Jesus will answer it. Because we know that God is about answering those types of prayers. If you want to look at the type of prayer that Jesus is producing in us as we abide in him, just look to the Lord's prayer. A prayer that is kingdom focused. A prayer that believes that God will provide all of our needs. A prayer that is, Lord, help me to be a forgiving, non-bitter person. So he says, look, the first is answer prayer. The second is not only um, answer prayer, but we see in verse 10, if you keep my commandments and uh, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I'm sorry, I skipped Verse eight is where I wanted to go. We've got that on the screen. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So the second promise is an assurance of apprenticeship. The first is answer prayer. The second is assurance of apprenticeship, that as we abide in Christ, he produces a, a confidence in us that we belong to him. That's Romans chapter eight. The Holy Spirit cries out through us, Abba, Father. And we are confident that we belong to him. And the third is this experience of joy. Verse 11, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Jesus paints a picture. I am the true vine. Jesus gives us a principle, remain deeply connected in me. Jesus gives us a practice, treasure my word and live it out in obedience. And Jesus gives us promises, assurances of prayer, assurance of apprenticeship. And then finally, he, he gives us joy. We looked at that study and that study showed clearly those who engage God's word and make that a regular discipline, a regular practice are, are those who ultimately are healthy. And the reason that they are healthy, I would argue, is because as they are experiencing God's love, they're being reminded of God's love daily. And that is creating a deep abiding joy in them. And so I want to encourage you this week to, to, to slow down and think about God's invitation to you. Maybe God's invitation to you is not just to, to read God's word, but to meditate on it. And for some, you may have an hour to do that in a day. For most people, they don't. <laughs> but what does it look like for you to silence your phone, to put it on the other side of the room, to set an alarm clock, and for 10 minutes to engage the Gospels or to read God's Word and then to pray that the Lord will sustain you, to put it to memory? I think that the thing that there's a book called Beauty Will Change the World, and I just love that title. Um, I think that the thing that will change um, the world will change our families, will change our hearts, will change our church, will change our community is beauty in a way in which we experience and produce beauty is by deeply connecting ourselves to the one who is ultimately not only beautiful, but beauty himself. And if you find yourself cynical and hopeless, filled with bitterness and rage, it's probably because um, there's a disconnect between you and the one who is most beautiful 
or maybe there's just some deeper work that needs to be done all around. But that starts with Jesus. And Jesus invites you to do that work with pastors, with other members, maybe with a a therapist. But he invites you to do that work with him, not without him. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.